Let us take our Bibles and turn to the third chapter of James. James chapter 3. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. These holy words of the living God Himself. They are not the words of men. They are in truth the words of God. I did not write them, nor choose them. God chose them, and holy men wrote them down for us. The Lord God of heaven made man upright, but He has sought out many inventions. He has corrupted God's way upon the earth. All the thoughts of His imagination from His youth upward are evil and wicked. Violence is in his heart. The poison of asps is under his tongue. And he loves to speak deceitfully, especially about others. The Lord and saw that everything he had made was very good, including his tongue. But we have corrupted God's way of the earth by taking what he created and making it into A thing of evil. We are in James chapter 3. I want to begin reading at verse 5 down through 12. And we will finish this section about the tongue in this first assembly. And then we will take up the rest of the chapter in the second assembly. The second half of the chapter from verses 13 through 18 are some very precious and powerful words of Scripture for which I am very thankful. And, and I hope I can convey them to you in the second assembly. Verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either of wine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. God have mercy upon us, lest any in here have deceived themselves to think that they are a fountain that can give forth fresh water and salt water. 
If you are a child of God, born again with the Spirit of God from heaven, walking in that Spirit, a new creature in Christ, you will hate and despise any evil words that come off your tongue. You will not justify them nor excuse them. You will appreciate sermons like this, and you will for your spouse and even your children to correct you when you open your flapper and let the sewage of your heart out. These are not my words. I did not put the exclamation point at the end of verse 5. The Lord God put it there, and thankfully we have some faithful translators in our past who wrote these words out well and put it there. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. When we let loose our tongues, we burn up those around us. It is as a single match burning down a forest through a forest fire. When we say evil things, we kill and destroy relationships. We kill and destroy reputations. We kill and destroy ambition. We kill and destroy knowledge. We discourage by our tongues. Have mercy upon us. We read in verses 7 and 8 that men have tamed all kinds of beasts and birds, even those creatures of the sea. You're thinking of dolphins or other creatures. But the tongue can no man tame. It's a general rule that the tongue is a very unruly member of our body, full of deadly poison. It is fatal the way we speak. When we speak disrespectfully to our parents, when we backbite a brother or a sister, it is deadly poison that comes from our lips. The poison of asps is there. We worry about rattlesnakes. Who cares? We we worry about cobras or asps. No cobras in America. But we worry about snakes. The real is the poison that's under our tongues. Have we removed those little poison sacks? How do you remove the poison sack that is under your tongue? How do you get rid of it? By keeping thy heart with all patience. For out of it are the issues of life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If you'll keep your heart and always be thinking good things about everyone else, even your enemies, evil words will never escape your lips. Because they will not have been formed in your tongue. Because they will have not come from your heart to your faculty of speech. Lord, help us. Verse 9. We went through verse 8 last Sunday. Verse 9. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Therewith is with that thing I have just described, that tongue of ours. We come into an assembly like this. We sing. We pray. We speak to others about how good it is to see them. We may get up and read the Scriptures. We may preach. And then before we can even get home, and I said this last Lord's Day, before we can get home, we rip someone. We have a tongue like Doeg. It does not matter if you take out a sword and cut someone's head off. If you cut the head off their reputation, if you cut the head off their character, if you cut their head off with your speech on the way home, in the sight of God it is no different. That is taught plainly in Matthew chapter 5, that if you are angry with your brother without a cause, 
if you call him a fool without a cause, you have broken the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Because you have killed them with your tongue. Therewith, bless we God. We come in here and we sing. And we read in unison. I love the way that we're worshiping right now. And if we, if the Lord or you will show us anything we can do to worship better, we'll adopt that. I am obsessed right now that we have the best worship services on earth. And I don't mean that appeal to men, but that appeals to the God of heaven. I want Him to be delighted and blessed by everything we do. I want to jam so much scripture into our services. I delight in reading. I could take 30 men reading scriptures the way we're reading right now. It does not bore me. I delight in every verse. I delight in all of you standing before the God of heaven and opening your mouths with God's words. Oh, that's a heavy burden, and I hope you all know that when you come here and when you pray. We jam so much scripture into our assemblies, and we jam some singing in today as well. Some good singing, some good songs. I hope you're thinking about those precious words. Amen. I was delighting in them. I hope you were. Therewith, bless we God. We come in here, we bless God, we praise Him, and we worship Him. Is what it's what it means by blessing Him. And then we walk out of here, and that same tongue is used to curse. Not only men in general. You know, before you get home today, will you stop at a convenience store to grab yourself a cup of coffee or to buy some gasoline, and you will curse the clerk because they're slow? Ever done that one? Someone told me about that. That's why I'm telling you of it. Because I don't know anything about that. I speak as a fool. Do you think they hire rocket scientists to serve coffee and gasoline at convenience stores? What do you expect? An Olympic athlete racing around to fill your cup? But we curse them. Hold. God in heaven, forgive us. Have mercy upon our foolish hearts and our unruly tongues. We are people of of unclean lips. And we dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But now we are in the house of the King of glory. Forgive us. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Someone's not driving quite fast enough in front of you. You curse the driver. The light turns orange before you can get through it. You curse the engineer. Designed it to catch you that day. As if he's ever met you. And we curse men. The electricity goes off and we curse everyone at Duke Energy. And you forget that your brother works there. Therewith bless we God and therewith curse we men. It is only amusing in the sense that we're all guilty. It is a terrible sin. We must guard our lips or we are no better than Doeg the Edomite. So he pulled his sword and killed 85 priests. How many times have you driven home and spoken against your pastor? God doesn't know the difference. So he killed men, women, and children. You drive home and criticize or rail on others in the church. God doesn't know the difference. He looks at them the same. Lord, help us and have mercy upon us. 
Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We can look at James 3, 9, and we can say that it's just speaking of men in general. Good enough. That's why I used a a clerk at the convenience store, the driver in front of you, the engineer for the city or county of Greenville that timed that light, and those men that work at Duke Energy. But you know what? There's another group of people that are different from them. They should be more special to us because they're the children of God. And isn't it terrible when our tongues get loose against a child of God? Someone that sits in this assembly with us. First John chapter 4 and verse 20. First John 4.20 If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? Now this commandment have we that he who loveth God loveth love his brother also. How in the world can you say that you love God if you don't love your brethren? If you are railing on your brethren, criticizing them, tearing into them, slandering them, whispering them about them, tailbearing about them on the way home, you are guilty of James 3.9. And you're guilty of it in an aggravated sense. Because the children of God deserve even better treatment than those outside this assembly. All the children... The women, the men, the pastor, the brothers, the ones you, the ones at the front of the auditorium. They're all worthy of your protection from your tongue because it is your tongue that is so dangerous. Let us neither burn them nor slice them. Let us not have a razor tongue. Lord help us. James 3 9. This is carnal Christianity at its best. Carnal Christianity at its best, which is a terrible thing. James 3.9 is describing those that come into the house of God pretending to be religious. Do you remember chapter 1 and verse 26? If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, his religion is vain. Let us rule our tongues. Let us cut our words in half. Let us be very slow before we speak. And let every word that comes out of our mouths be helpful. Good to the use of edifying. Full of grace. Only seasoned with salt when we have to do so. If you cannot say something nice, then be silent all the way home. Be silent at home. Have your about your health because you're not speaking. Rather than open it, You children, the Bible is very plain and simple. If you curse your parents, you're worthy of death. And there's a God in heaven that will take care of it for us. Whether we do it to you or not, the Lord will. If you speak lightly to your parents, it's worthy of The Lord will take care of it, whether we do it to you or not. And we won't for the time being, unless we can get legislation passed allow us to do it. I would sign the petition for your death if you want to speak against your parents. 
since the government hasn't given us that liberty, we'll trust him to take care of it. And do you know what he says he'll do? He won't do it by lethal injection. That's far too gentle and kind. Do it with the eagles of the valley and the ravens. They will come and pluck your eyeballs out and eat them. What a wonderful sight. I think that would make a great MTV documentary. A rebellious teenager lying under the sun with buzzards, ravens, and eagles plucking its eyeballs out and eating them. That's the word of the Lord. It's not my word. Therewith, bless we God. I think most of you young people have opened your mouths and, and sang along with us this morning. This is what I enjoy the most. Those of you young people that have a rebellious spirit and heart right now, you're mocking and scorning God and me. And I enjoy that. It gives me great pleasure. Because he who laughs last always laughs best. And we shall laugh at you because you are so foolish and ignorant. You shall never get away with cursing your parents. God will chase you down and he will chase you with the angel of the Lord. And he'll drive you like the chaff before the wind. And he'll melt you like a snail on a sidewalk. He will destroy you. And we enjoy that prospect. We rejoice in that for all those who want to rebel against their parents. And that includes those who want to rebel against their government. And against their teachers. And against their employers. And their masters. And their pastors. And their husbands. And every other form of authority that God has put in the world. Therewith bless we men. Bless we God with our tongues, and therewith curse we men who were made after the similitude of God. Lord, have mercy upon such foolish rebels and bring them to repentance even today. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Men have characteristics that are like God. They are like the sons of God by their first birth. What is Adam called in the Bible? The Son of God. Because God made him. And then we curse them. We curse them. We curse neighbors. We curse colleagues at work. This is carnal Christianity because it's having a form of godliness, blessing God, even the Father, without the power thereof, because there's no authority to keep the people from cursing men who are made after the Son of God. This is carnal Christianity. Let it not be true of anyone in this assembly. Let us hate the thought. Verse 10, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. As a statement of fact, how in the world can the same mouth, one mouth, bless God and curse men? My brethren, these things ought not so to be. And that's what I'm saying to you this morning. And this is the Word of God to us. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. There ought not to be one mouth letting forth cursing and blessing. If there's a mouth that gives forth cursing, well, they're probably not a child of God. They're a reprobate. God's never given them a new nature. Let them curse. But there should never be any of us, especially those of us who have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came up out of that water with the understanding that we were to walk in newness of life, that should ever be cursing men, Wives, husbands, children, parents, relatives, neighbors, colleagues, government, anyone. While we're claiming to be a Christian. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Stop it! 
Those two things shouldn't come from the same mouth. If we're children of God, everything that comes out of our mouth should be good, kind, merciful, compassionate, edifying, gracious, tender, helpful, loving, encouraging, warming, comforting, and so forth and so on. Let the wicked have the tongues of Doeg the Edomite. There should be none in here. And don't think yourself not on a plane and with Doeg because I've already explained that to you. Don't forget it. Jesus was very plain in Matthew chapter 5 that you are guilty of murder for using your to hurt another person without a very just cause. And I don't know of anyone in here with such a cause. Verse 11 is so simple. These two, these figures of speech here are simple for us. Verse 11, doth the fountain send forth the sweet water and bitter? No. A fountain doesn't do that. It doesn't, it doesn't have a mixture of water. There's no blending valve down there that takes some salt water and some fresh water and blends it together. You get one or the other from a fountain. Verse 12, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Notice his reference to my brethren. My brethren, these things ought not to occur in the churches of Jesus Christ. Can the fig tree bear olive berries? No. They have a different nature. You can't get olive berries from a fig tree. How about a vine? Can it bear figs? No, figs do not come from a grapevine. They come from a fig tree. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. He answers the rhetorical questions for you. In case you've never been involved in horticulture and weren't sure of the answers to those rhetorical questions, he answers them for you. A fountain does not send forth both things. Now, brethren, let's remind ourselves of some things we can do to guard our tongues. These words here are simple enough, and the warning to us is plain and powerful enough. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139 and verse 4. Psalm 139 and verse 4. David is describing his incredible creation in the womb of his mother by the God of heaven. He says he was fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are God's works, and his soul knoweth that right well. But in verse 4, he says this, There is not a word in my tongue, but, Lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind before, and laid Thine hand upon me. God is all around you, and every word you say, not when it escapes your lips, even while it's in your tongue. If you have it in your tongue and you wish you could let it go, but for some political reason to help yourself, protect yourself, do not let it go, it is still known by the God of heaven. Why did you even let that word escape your heart? Why is it even in your heart? Verse 4, there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. The first rule of good speech is to remember that God knows every word that you speak, whether you do it in public or private. Whether you do it where others can hear or no one can hear, God hears it anyway. As the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, but His ears are in every place, hearing the evil and the good. If you speak against your parents in your bedroom, the Lord hears it. If you speak in the rage while you're driving in your car, anyone, the Lord hears it. The first rule to speak correctly is to remember that God hears every word 
that comes from your tongue and even while it is in your tongue. Look at Psalm 141. It's close at hand. We used it last Lord's Day. Second rule is to ask God to help us. If you have something so unruly that no man can tame it, meaning the general rule is the tongue cannot be tamed, then we need the help of God to tame it. Psalm 141 and verse 3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. And so we ask the Lord to set a watch. Put your guards at my mouth. Keep me from saying words that I should not say. Convict me and remind me by your Holy Spirit. When something is forming in my heart, do not let me say it. Keep my lips in my mouth. And so we pray that. Father in heaven, Lord God, have mercy upon us. We need your help. Heavenly Father, if it requires an angel or even the Spirit of the living God, set a guard at our lips and close the doors of our mouth lest we speak foolishly and bless Thee and curse men who are made after Your similitude. O Lord, save us from foolish and ungodly speech and let our words be gracious and good to the use of edifying, praiseworthy, thankworthy. O Lord, help us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, who never uttered one foolish word His entire life, Amen. Turn to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, the third rule of speaking correctly. Cut your words in half. Speak less. Don't talk so much. Some of you don't talk as it is, so I speak to the rest of you more than them. Those who talk easily and talk frequently and talk quickly and hastily. Cut your words in half. You'll cut your sins in half. But it's better than that. You'll cut your sins more than half. Because it's in the excess of words where sin comes in. And so the more words you speak, there is a rising percentage of foolishness or other sinful speech. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9 puts it this way, 10.19 In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Isn't James chapter 3 about wisdom? We're going to learn it in the second assembly today, but it is about wisdom. And that wisdom is learning to refrain your lips. That means don't talk. Don't say anything. Listen. Listen. Consider. Consider. Meditate upon it. Study before you answer is what the Bible would tell us. Cut your words in half. Look at chapter 17. When it says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, that means when you are speaking a lot, and there is a multitude of words and phrases and sentences, there is going to be sin. Sin is not wanting to someone who talks a lot. Because we sin so easily with our lips. So the third rule is to cut your words in half. Reduce the quantity of your speech. Look at 17, the last two verses. Of the chapter. This is the wise man, the preacher, teaching us. He that hath knowledge 
spareth his words. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. The flesh says otherwise. If you want to impress people with your knowledge, then you should talk all you can about whatever subject is at hand, whether you know anything about it or not. That's how the flesh reasons, because the flesh is a liar and the devil is motivating it. Remember, the tongue is a fire and it is set on fire of hell. To speak when you do not know what you're talking about is ridiculous and a fool's mouth will swallow him up, but he'll just keep on talking. A wise man shuts his lips. He knows that if he's quiet, he creates a mystery. You know what? That man may be really intelligent. He hasn't said anything. He's just looking at me while I've been babbling. He's probably taken apart everything I've said. He probably knows I'm an idiot. He's a wise man. I wonder what he's thinking. I wish he'd tell me what he's thinking, because I've just made an ass of myself. And do you, know how he, he, do you know how he acquired such a great reputation? He kept his lips shut. Because look what it says here. This is wisdom. This is wisdom. I wish this was taught in school. Children, do you want everyone to think that you're smart? It's not by doing this all the time. It's by being quiet. Then you create a mystery. They think that you're of such a high IQ that you're just analyzing everything and realizing that to speak would be wasted on your ears. This is the wisdom of God. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. Do you really know the subject at hand? Then spare your words. Don't try to impress anyone with them. A man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. We are going to find out about Daniel in the second assembly. Daniel was a man of an excellent spirit. I'll bet he didn't go around babbling, did he? He couldn't have. Not according to these texts. The first rule of learning how to speak correctly is to remember that God hears every word. The second rule is to beg God for help. The third rule is to cut your words in half. The fourth rule is to slow down and think before you speak. Have we learned that in James so far? Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Look at Proverbs chapter 15. 15 and verse 28. There's so much in the book of Proverbs about the tongue. Proverbs 15:28. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. You should study before you speak. You should be sure of what you're going to say. You should have carefully considered all angles before you let go. This is to slow down. It's rule number four for speaking properly. Look at chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 23. The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. But you can't do that if your lips are the first reaction. If, you're, if the first responder in your body is your mouth, you can't teach your mouth and lips because they've already let go of words that you cannot reel back in. They're gone. But a wise man, his heart teaches his lips and his mouth before he speaks. Chapter 18. Verse 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. If you speak quickly without hearing all aspects of a situation, 
Look what it says about you. It's folly and shame unto you. You don't want to be ashamed or shamed. You don't want to be a fool. So hear a matter carefully. The fourth rule is to be quick to hear and slow to speak. The fourth rule is to study before you speak. And then chapter 10, the fifth rule. Let's make it simple. Five little rules for speaking. Chapter 10 and verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. Fools don't have wisdom, but righteous men have wisdom and they feed many. So when you speak, make sure that you are feeding someone wisdom. That is the same as Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That's the same thing. Feed. Do not speak unless there is going to be a profitable return on what you are saying. We, we, we tend to fill the air with noise. You know, sometimes there are temperaments that are uncomfortable if there's a lull in a conversation. They, they feel that's, that's uncomfortable and painful for others because it's painful for them for some twisted reason. But silence can be golden. There used to be, that, that used to be said in this country that silence was golden. But when there's that lull and you start to fill the air with noise, you're not keeping this fifth rule. And that is that you are to feed people with your speech and everything you say should be good to the use of edifying. Look at verse 32 of the same chapter, Proverbs 10, 32. The righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. A righteous man says acceptable words, appropriate words, proper words for the occasion, for the help of those that are listening. Chapter 17 in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 17, verse 20. He that hath a froward heart findeth no good. And he that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. We should be finding good with our tongue. When we say something, our heart should have found some good things to talk about, and those good things should come out of our mouth. According to 17.20. I'll conclude this point with 22.11. You've heard it many times. Proverbs 22.11. I may rescind that statement. Because I've thought of another one. Proverbs 22.11. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Grace coming off his lips. Because he is only going to speak if he's going to build others up. Comfort, encourage, or love them with His words. And it comes out of a pure heart, resulting in gracious lips, and kings want to be the the friend of that man. Solomon saw his father win the affection of the household of King Saul, especially Jonathan, and Solomon knew that to be a fact. Come over to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, this will be the last one, verse 4. Proverbs 15, 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the Spirit. We want to teach and be a tree of life. Wherever we go, we want to lift up and help people. We want them to get nourishment from us. Nourishment spiritually. Nourishment in happiness. Nourishment in encouragement. We want to build them up, strengthen them, help them toward their goal of living a successful and happy Christian life. If we're not doing that, stop talking.
We should make our speech as productive and helpful as possible. Five rules. Your words are known by God. You can ask God for help. Cut your words in half. Think before you speak and slow down to do it. And then make sure everything you say is good and kind and helpful to others. The poison of asps is under our lips. Let's consider it for a few minutes. Come back to James chapter, James chapter three just to remind ourselves of what it says there. It says that the tongue is It's deadly poison. It destroys and kills. It kills relationships. A brother offended is harder to be won than a walled city or a barred city. Once we let those words out, we destroy relationships. It's fatal. That's the last part of verse 8 of James chapter 3. It's full of deadly poison. Sarcastic ridicule. Father, if you think it's a sign of manhood to sarcastically ridicule your children, it's not. It's a sign of childhood that you are an infant and were given children by mistake because you don't deserve them. Because sarcastic ridicule is not helpful or productive. God doesn't do it toward us and we should not do it toward our children. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 and a verse on poison. Colossians chapter 3. I meet men, grown men, who tell me about their father. Fathers, and I've, I've heard of many. And they range from great, godly, loving fathers to those that are critical, overbearing, and sarcastic. And it's a wide range. But we as Christian men should be at one end of that spectrum. Because look at what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. That is an overbearing, sarcastic, ridiculing, unkind father who provokes his children to anger. Now listen, if a child has done something wrong and a father disciplines that child, and the child gets angry over proper discipline, that's the child's fault. But when a father is sarcastic and ridicules his children and beats them down. That's the father's fault. You're not raising children. You're raising little enemies. And as soon as they're old enough, they will expose themselves because they can't stand you. And the only reason they're staying with you is because they're not old enough to leave and live on their own. And the day will come. And then it will be your fault. And we will not pity you. They cannot wait to get away. Because you are such an overbearing, hurtful, painful, deadly poison in their life. They have to leave to survive. Because they know that there's a whole lot of other people out there that will treat them a whole lot better than you treat them. They know that others will not use deadly poison on them. They know that others always have a kind word for them. An encouraging word. Others, let us crush such ridicule or sarcasm or overbearing criticism of our children. And mothers, you can do the same thing. Ephesians chapter 4. Oh, the time races away. The time races away. Ephesians chapter 5 is where I want. Ephesians 5 and verse 4. Describing some of the works of unrighteousness. It says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, 
but rather giving of thanks. Let's not use our mouths for filthiness, sexual innuendo, or other dirty jokes as they are often called. Out of our mouths, out of our vocabulary, nor foolish talking, just filling the air with noise, cackling, giggling, and talking about stupid subjects. Nor jesting, where you're poking fun at someone and making fun of others that may not be there, which then turns into backbiting. This is the word of the Lord. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. And we do too much of it. It is so convenient, comfortable to do it. And our society is built on it. The sitcoms are nothing but this. Sitcoms have nothing in them except this verse. They're full of filthiness, foolish talking and jesting. Brethren, we cannot do that. We cannot boast of tomorrow because we do not know what a day is going to bring forth. Don't tell me about what great things you're going to do this next year unless you summarize it with, if the Lord will. We'll get that out of James 5 before we finish the epistle. Look at, look at Proverbs chapter 11. Oh, the time races away. Proverbs 11. All the sins and the poison that comes out of our tongues. When we have it and it's called our glory, and we used it for God's glory on Wednesday evening, and we, use, we should use it for God's glory every day, especially on the Lord's Day, we should want to lift up His voice and bless God, but we should not leave this place and curse another man. We should be using our tongue to feed them with those things that are good to the use of edifying. Proverbs 11 and verse 13, A tale bearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Proverbs 11:13. We started off this morning with Psalm 12, where David said, "Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men." And here we have a description of what a faithful man is. Even if he knows something about someone that would be damaging to them, he never repeats it because it's a secret and it shouldn't be repeated. It should be kept. Those who spread called talebearers. The other word the Bible uses is called tattler. You know, it used to be a punishable offense in school if a child came or was discovered at being a tattler because tattling was a sin even in our public school system. Just I'm not that old. I'm getting there, but it wasn't that long ago that tattling was a bad thing. Tattling's used in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Tattling's just a shortened version of tailbearing. The other word the Bible uses is whispering. And here's one of the many verses in the Bible describing it. A talebearer revealeth secrets. He goes and bears tales. He tells secrets. He tells things about other people with the tongue. And so we destroy people. We hurt them. We, we damage their reputations with our speech. And so it's called deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, and therewith curse we men. Lord, have mercy upon us and keep us from it. When you tell the truth about someone and it's damaging... That is tailbearing. That is whispering and that is tattling. When you tell something that is not true about someone to damage them, that is slander. That's the difference in those words. Slandering is lying about someone. Tailbearing is telling the truth, but it is detrimental to them. I've already mentioned disrespect to parents or those in authority. You know, 42 children once said, what'd they say? Go up, thou bald head. Who were they talking to? Elisha. Elisha cursed them in the name of the Lord, and two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of them. You say, that's a little extreme. 
take it up with the Lord. I hope that you're taking it up with Him in heaven and not taking it up with Him from the lake of fire for objecting against that passage in Second Kings. It seems fair enough to me. If little brats want to make fun of a man that had twice the spirit of Elijah, he showed it on that occasion, didn't he? Amen. Elijah may have taken down some full-grown prophets of Baal, but Elisha took down 42 children by cursing them in the name of the Lord. I love Elisha. It doesn't bother me one bit. Children ought to learn to respect their elders. You know, those are words that aren't used anymore, are they? Respect their elders. How much does your tongue complain? Complain about your job. Complain about your house. Complain about your car. Complain about your health. Complain about your spouse. Complain about your children. Complain about your church. Complain about the weather. Complain about the newspaper. Complain, complain, complain. Complain about the food that mommy fixed spinach for supper tonight. Thank the God of heaven that you have some spinach. We know of places where you can get dry, old, moldy bread crusts with water. We know some places. We'll help you get there if you don't like mommy's spinach. Stop complaining. If you want to write her a note and slip it under her pillow with pillow and tell her that you love her and ask her not to serve you spinach again, then do it that way. But don't complain about it. Plain. Therewith bless we God, and therewith curse we our circumstances. I'm the only one that eats spinach at my table. I'm all alone. I'm looking for children that will join me. Listen, with the amount of butter my wife puts on it, the amount of bacon grease she puts on it to help me get it down, anyone should enjoy it. <laughs> oh, there ain't nothing like spinach fixed that way. <laughs> I've heard about the stuff you, you, got, you people down here in the south throw into your beans and collard greens. You, you know the same tricks. Don't look at me and, and act like I've got a problem. Spinach has the problem. I'm just using it as an example. Oh, brethren, let's not complain. Do you know how much we murmur? We bitch on about the thing in his life, and we are the fattest, the happiest, the peacefulest, the most prosperous people that have ever existed on planet Earth. We have the greatest combination of spiritual, material, and national blessings of any people that have ever lived. How can we ever complain? And yet, out of these terrible mouths comes complaining. We had read to us Proverbs chapter 6, and it's about sowing discord. Our goal is unity. Our goal is accord. We like chords that work. We like chords that harmonize. We like harmony. We like agreement. And so we do everything in our power and wait till we get to the second assembly, brethren, because truly righteous men sow righteousness and the fruit of righteousness by making peace. Let us never sow discord among brethren. Let us always be building unity and one mind, one heart, and one spirit to worship God because that is what is so delightful to Him. Let us never backbite others or run them down while they're absent. Let us not answer again to those in authority. Do you know the Bible says that answering again is wrong? If your boss tells you to do something, and if you answer again disrespectfully to him, that is a sin. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Your answer should be, yes, sir, or how I, sir. That should be your answer. Not answering again. Again, 
if he's asking you to do something that is ridiculously foolish, after you've done it, you could slip him a note under his pillow and tell him that you love him. And he consider an alternative way of doing it. But not answering again. Do you know how quick things fly off our lips? I wish I could go back to Michigan National Bank of Detroit and do things a little differently. I wish I could, but it's too late now. The words are gone. I can't reel them in. Lord, help us not to sin in the future and forgive us for ever sinning in the past. Amen. You have a glory in your mouth. You have deadly poison in your mouth. Depending on which verses we're reading. To a child of God, to whom all things are new, he's a new creature, it is glory. There should be no poison there. Right. Let us never bite or or slice like Doeg, anyone. Not in the privacy of our homes. Not in the privacy of our cars. Let us build up. Let's praise. Let's compliment. Let's thank. Let's rejoice. Let's be glad. Let's talk about the Lord. Let's lift Him up and let's lift one another up. Let us speak always those things that are good to the use of edifying. Let us bless God, even our Father, with the glory in our mouths. And let us bless men who are made after the similitude of God, especially those that are the children of God. Right. We are lying fools, and we are as wicked as Doeg, if we bless God and our Father and then curse men, especially those that are the children of God, our brothers in the great family of God. Let us be loving family members. Brethren, repent of your sins of speech, and purpose this day before God that we will guard every word that comes out of our tongues, knowing that God sees it, that He'll help us do what is right, that we should cut our words in half, that we should think before we speak. And if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.